to quote the, the great warrior poets of the 90s, uh, Salt and Pepper. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's talk about sex, baby. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeff. And I'm Kyle. And that voice that you just heard is Matt Gallagher, who's going to be on the show later. And uh, Jeff, why don't we tell him why we're here? We are here because we have started a podcast. It's and called, what's it called? It's called Writers Who Don't Write. What's it about? Basically, I just want to hear about all of the ridiculous shit that people can't talk about. But we don't just want to talk about the embarrassing stories, right? We want to talk a little bit about the craft, about the process, about what it's like to be to be a writer on a daily basis and to come up against something that you find difficult to write about. So Kyle wants to talk about the craft of writing. But Jeff wants to talk about the scandalous parts, the stories that inspire the writers. It's like our own version of a soap opera. A little bit. So some of you out there might be a Kyle, some of you might be a Jeff, but we're going to hopefully, you know, make all of you happy. So who's our guest this week? We have Matt Gallagher this week, just published a book called Young Blood. came out from Atria. He kept a blog about his time in Iraq in 2007 and 2008 that got shut down by the U.S. government. And he's going to talk to us about sex. Not war. Nope. Sex. All right, let's get into it. Welcome to the first episode, and thank you for joining us, Matt. Happy to be here. Uh, eager to—I t- I don't know about eager, but uh, <laughs> uh, ready to talk about uh, uh, my not writing. Yeah. So, I mean, that—that's kind of perfect um, for us to jump into what you have written in the past. Um, Matt is is well known for um, a blog that he kept while he was an army captain out in Iraq called Kaboom. Uh, and this was kind of a you know Romeo and Juliet version of the Iraq War, uh, the Sunnis and the Shiites, and it was one of the first times that anybody was writing about you know what was going on with the troops and you know the personalities of the people that were actually in Iraq, as opposed to um, you know the tactile decisions and the the policy decisions that were being you know informed of on the news like for the Iraq War, um, and. After about a year of keeping this blog, the you know the military actually asked you to take it down. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it got shut down uh, in June two thousand eight. Okay, and why? Why? I mean, uh, outside of the whole, um, I, I'll let you talk on this because you obviously know this story better than I do. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so um, we're about seven months into our fifteen month tour, and I've been blogging you know about twice a week. Uh, I think. Uh, f- for that, um, it, uh, the feedback from my chain of command been mostly supportive. Uh, they kind of viewed it as uh, I don't know, like counterinsurgency was the, the shift in strategy, right? And so they kind of viewed it uh, as, as maybe another way of doing that. It was kind of humanizing uh, uh, the American soldiers on the ground, and you know, I, I'd taken great care to uh, stick by operational security, right? So like, uh, we all had nicknames. Each one of my soldiers. Uh, uh, the Iraqis that we worked with and encountered, I, I didn't use their real names. Mm-hmm. I'd given the town that we were in. We were in a, a kind of a, a sectarian town, rural town, uh, along the Grand Canal, uh, about 45 minutes northwest of Baghdad. I gave it, uh, I, I called it uh, uh, Anu Alver, uh, uh, what did that call Alverona. A- a- Alverona, yeah, yeah uh, uh, which goes back to your Romeo and Juliet mention. Uh, and yeah, it was just kind of something that I, 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 I was doing, yeah. and it was a way to kind of make sense of, of what we were experiencing. Um, and you you can actually find a bunch of this stuff if you if you really dig deep. Um, you know, old blog posts by Matt, coverage from from you know the Washington Post or Wired or Noah Shackman did a really great piece before he right. left Wired. Um, 
And the internet is forever. It's crazy. I, the, you, we actually, Kyle and I, this afternoon, were on the Wayback Machine trying to find a post from Wired that got taken down. Oh, um, really? I, mean, I don't know if it got taken down or if you know there was just bad maintenance. But um, we, I would we, guess, based on the content of that Wired article, that we didn't end up finding through the Wayback Machine, that it was actively taken down and not just left. Was this an old Danger Room article? The, yeah, this was the the Noah Shackman piece where he talks about. Um, you know, basically what was going on, why it got taken down. And it was so far, I mean, and I only looked for a couple hours, but it was the only article I could find that actually explained the reasons that this got taken down. Oh, oh, oh so the the uh, piece about Kaboom. Yes. Oh, because Danger Room's not active anymore. So no. that's how you, oh, interesting. So, but, okay, yeah. but all the archives are still up. Right, 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 right. So, uh, yeah, so uh, the, the and Kaboom. By the way, maybe on that website, we can provide a link to that article on the Wayback Machine that we found so okay. people can get a little bit more context about what we're talking about. This is a, this is a trip down memory lane. Uh, it's uh, about seven years ago now. But yeah, so June 2008, uh, uh, so I was a scout platoon leader. So uh, I was a junior officer in charge of 30 cavalry scouts, and, and we kind of. Um, uh, we're jack-of-all-trades, masters-of-none kind of thing. Um, uh, did patrols with Iraqi police, uh, and uh, I, uh, there's an I- Iraqi army unit co-located with us. Some days we would just walk around the neighborhood asking how many hours a day they got electricity. Uh, other times uh, it was, you know, uh, 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 if a firefight broke out on the other side of town, like, you you had to go right to the sound of the guns kind of thing. It's, no, it, I mean, it's it was... Uh so interesting the things that you were writing about especially because you were giving you know these i I don't know what to what the word would be but um you know really illustrative nicknames to everybody um and it was it was just you know really interesting to me and i could see totally why the the military would want you to take it down because you know they they there may have been things in there where you were giving away information that people may not have wanted you to but from everything I read, it was because, you know, you kind of had internal disagreements. Is that right? Yeah. Well, basically, I made fun of my, my colonel on the Internet. And uh, whatever our jobs are, <laughs> you can't make fun of your boss on the Internet. Uh, you know, very, you know, this was, in my defense, it was 2008. Yeah. So it was a different Internet. Or, you, you know, so I naively thought, frankly, I was just kind of, you know, I was 24. Uh, he'd uh, uh, called me into his office and, and, and chewed my ass. Uh, uh, because I, I, I uh, kind of was fighting a promotion they wanted to give me uh, to, to kind of put me. It, it was a, a promotion uh, to be an executive officer, mm-hmm. which was which is an, which was a nice thing. And, and, uh, and you, you wanted to stay with your men, right? exactly. I want it, it's a, it's a logistical position, kind of kind of in the rear. And, and the the way I uh, uh, I said, you know, I, I appreciate it, sir, and I'll do it if you, you order me to. But uh, a, I want to stay with my men, and B, you know, I'm planning. I'm not planning on making the army a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought I was being very clever, and which was true. But I thought I was being very clever, and then suggesting perhaps this position should go to uh, a lieutenant who's going to make the army a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, that went poorly. Yes. Uh, uh, I actually have here. Uh, you were posting about that meeting. Oh, do you? Um, do you? So on June 27th, Lieutenant G announced to his audience that due to a rash posting on my part and decisions made above my pay grade. I've been ordered to stop posting on Kaboom effective immediately. It was too much unfiltered truth. I'm a soldier first and orders are orders. So it is. So, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, hashing any of this up because I want to, you know, get dirt or anything. I'm, I'm basically bringing it up because I wanted to, you know, A, talk about the parallels between this and Youngblood because there was a lot of them. And B, you know, this is kind of exactly the, what we're looking to cover in this, this, uh, this podcast, you know, we want to just talk about all of the things that people couldn't write and why. Sure. 
So, well, so one of the things that sticks out to me from reading this article as a civilian with no military experience, that, that it comes back to the idea of operational security as part of the stuff that you just can't talk about when you're writing on this blog because it's happening real time, day of, you're coming home and you're writing after a patrol what happened on that day. So can you walk us through a little bit of what operational security pertains to and some of the stuff that maybe, if you're allowed to talk about it now, you had to leave out then? Yeah, sure. Uh, so one one uh, uh, patrol that sticks in my mind that I knew I just couldn't even blog about, and I, uh, even when it was getting praise, I, I kind of tended to uh, push the envelope a little bit. You know, I'd, 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 I'd talk to my commander about posts that I, I wasn't sure about, um, and he'd give me some guidance um, uh, obviously, the post that got it shut down was just something I, I put up myself. And you know, I'm Irish, so you know we we do. <laughs> you winged it. We, yeah, you we, yeah. Rash decisions. <laughs> yeah, uh, but you know, uh, uh, you live and you learn. The, the, to, to that colonel's credit, even though he was an asshole, he he did still promote me to captain about a month later. Uh, he he punched in my captain bards a little harder than necessary, but uh, he, to <laughs> his Maybe credit, a little blood. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that's what he was going for. Um, but yeah, but so. I think even uh, a few months before all this went down, so this is about March 2008, and I knew I couldn't even just, uh, I journaled about it just because it was a way to m- for me to make sense of something, uh, and it ended up making, uh, becoming a, a chapter in the Kaboom the Book, uh, which was published in 2010. But uh, 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 the, the, the task force is what we call them, like special operators. Uh, uh, so, you know, Navy SEALs, you've got your Army Delta Force, U.S. Army Rangers, you know, d- different versions of kind of the same thing. Uh, basically, they were they were doing a different type of mission. They would kind of uh, they were stationed at the big bases, the big forward operating bases, uh, and they would do nighttime raids on real kind of like lethal targets, right? Like kind of like the high rollers in Al Qaeda in Iraq or, or the Jaysh al Mahdi, uh, uh, Shia uh, militia, that kind of thing. So like they they were very uh, uh, kinetic oriented to, to kind of use the army terminology, which basically means they you know they just they were full time. All they did was raid. Um, uh, uh, critics would call them assassin squads, uh, which is not totally true because they were killer capture missions. But uh, 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 they were, you know, very, very focused as opposed to kind of what we were doing, which was kind of being living, living amongst the people with them. Really, kind of more beat cops than than kind of a SWAT team kind of thing. So sometimes uh, uh, this would conf- conflict, right? Because uh, a lot of times the guys they were going after were power brokers in our in in our towns in mm-hmm. our villages, right? Like. They were the they were the chieftains, and uh, maybe they were wanted for something that had gone down in two thousand four, two thousand five. But part of this whole switch to counterinsurgency was like moving on, right, and being like, okay, you're our ally now. And that's and, you know, there's a lot of coverage of that when the book came out, where you know you were basically, and I mean, not you, I mean, the greater you is in you know the the army. Um, is you know a lot of the people that you guys were allied with, you know, were people that you were fighting just a couple of years before. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, as, as a, somebody who uh, was deploying for the first time, it was easy for me to say, let's move on, yeah. right? But some of my sergeants had been there, that was their second or third tour. Uh, uh, it, it bothered them, and mm-hmm. understandably so, that some of the, these quote-unquote allies had American blood on their hands. Yeah. So it was kind of an ongoing negotiation. But uh, so uh, what happened as a result is uh, 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 General Petraeus uh, up high said, all right, Op- special operators, you got to work with my regular units down on the ground. You got to coordinate better. So one night in March, uh, 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 these all these badass dudes in like super super cool sunglasses and and uh, uh, make sh- you know their their own their own rifles with silence. Sunglasses on. at night? Uh, 
Uh, oh yeah, you got the, the the thing with an operator is you got to look cool no matter what at all times. So, like like the functionality is second. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, show up. I, I I don't think they were seals. I, I think they were mostly rangers and and uh, uh, the uh, maybe maybe some delta guys. But they show up to our outpost and say, "There's this really bad dude target here. Uh, we're gonna go after him, but uh, 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 because we got to play nice." Uh, uh, we'll, we'll go with a platoon of you all to, to provide security, right? So uh, my uh, uh, my my platoon and I get tasked with doing this, uh, and it's, it's it's just I mean it, it was just like watching uh, 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 dogs on a leash kind of glare at each other, right? Like the rangers are looking at my soldiers like uh, you know kind of carefully cultivated disdain. Uh, uh, my soldiers are are like we're just as tough as these guys. We're dirty. Like maybe they're bigger and, and jacked up on, on, on horse tranquilizers or something, but <laughs> they don't live out. Like they, they, they wait, uh, they lift weights uh, for most of their deployment. We, we're out here. We're out here. Grungy. We're dirty. Mm-hmm. Let's bring it. Uh, so, you know, you, you play nice. Remember, remind them all that, Hey, we're on the same team here. Let's, let's go out and, and, and try to find this guy. Well, uh, shit went awry. Uh, basically, uh, uh, they, uh, identified the target, uh, he was on a roof, but he was on a roof of a mosque, and uh, there was a big no-no about entering uh, uh, entering mosques at the time, right? Uh, uh, but that that did not uh, the counter normal counterinsurgency rules that we had to abide by did not apply to them. Um, and, and 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 to be fair, uh, according to the target packet of this guy, like he, he'd been a sniper in Fallujah, had, had killed uh, a number of, of American service members. So uh, I can understand why. Why they? This, why guy, they went this after. guy was a big target. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, allegedly, allegedly. Uh, according to, according to the target packet um, that that the the operators provided. But then, as a result, they they went through uh, the mosque, and uh, uh, you know, I was about a hundred forty pounds at the time, just kind of a regular cavalry lieutenant, and like trying to trying to track down uh, uh, Steve. Uh, because you know uh, they don't go by ranks or, or real names because mm-hmm. uh, they're they're too cool for that. And uh, uh, hey, Steve, you know we're in a mosque, right? And he's like, oh, don't worry about it, bro. I'm like, I'm not your bro. I'm a lo- like like let's. I'm not the most professional <laughs> dude in the on the planet here, but uh, 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 this is going poorly. And uh, you know <laughs> they were tr- of the century. Yeah, and yeah. they they were trying. You know they're 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 just kind of they're ripping stuff off the wall. I mean, they're looking for hiding places, right? And th- there is evidence that in some mosques, although uh, it wasn't the case with this one, were hiding weapons and stuff. So, right? so at this point, they know he's on the roof? They have him detained, but they uh, wow. under under their rules, that gave them enough uh, to search the jurisdiction mosque. to search the entire thing, right? Okay. Uh, we, we, uh, I report back to my commander, who's, who's freaking out and trying to get the imam on his cell phone to apo- preemptively apologize. Uh, I would. Uh, I walk outside, and uh, 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 kind of some of their some of their guys are are conducting car window breaking classes, right? With their with their young soldiers, like this is how you do it correctly. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, and assholes? They're just random cars, right? Like, like we. This is two blocks from where so this, our outpost. This is very much you know left hand not talking to the right prior to this, exactly, or, or just not caring. Well, these are also probably people that you see on a daily basis. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and I mean, and that thing—they they were just doing that because they're bored, and because this, for them, they'll never—they may not come back to this village ever again, right? They and they only see—they only go out of the wire, uh, they only see it in night vision green, right? Mm-hmm. Th- I mean, th- this is our day-to-day life. So, if, if, you know, it was very much a, a microcosm of kind of how day-to-day counterinsurgency clashed with kind of the the special operator raids mentality. So this is. You know, kind of a, a good segue into talking about Youngblood because there's so many um, 
there's so many pieces of of the stories that you did and that you didn't tell that kind of you know are direct parallels to the stories that you're telling in young blood um so i guess i mean this is like an old trope in the same question that you know writers have been asked forever but how much of young blood was pulled from your real experiences uh it's a good question i i, I don't know if i can give it a percentage yeah. um but let let uh maybe a third uh because a i'd already written a book from my perspective yeah. right so uh i'd kind of gotten that on my system um so it was important for me as the story developed that uh the the narrator be frankly just more interesting than i am um um, and more kind of, uh, I was much more, uh, I think, uh, uh, quick to react than I think Jack Porter, the narrator is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's much more of a slow burn kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be foolish not to pull some from my experience. Oh, no, for sure. Uh, you know, just kind of get the, the, the details, but like other I mean, stuff that's, that's too. That's what makes it authentic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll admit, I went back to some of those very same Kaboom blog posts, right? Mm-hmm. Six years later, when I needed kind of those sensory details, or like I wanted to make sure it it read as kind of the way it, the way it felt, yeah. rather than the way an MFA student remembers it feeling. Well, it's right? funny because I I was you know reading Kaboom in preparation for this interview, and I I definitely noticed that you know a lot of the stories overlapped, but you know one was told like very viscerally, and the other um, you know was also still very visceral, but you know it had very clearly been put through a lens. Um, sure. So. You know, I think that the end product was was great. I loved it, and you know, this is my telling everyone to go, you know, pop on Amazon or to your local bookstore and pick up your copy of Young Blood. Also, Kaboom, if you're so in- inclined. Um, and uh, well, one know. of the scenes. So one of the scenes in Young Blood, as I read it, is very similar, or at least has a similar beginning to that scene that you just described. Mm-hmm. Um, in real life, does it end the same way? Uh, in real life, it ended with a uh, mini riot at the front gates of the outpost, oh, uh, led by the imam, who, understandably so, like infidel feet had violated his 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 yeah. holy mosque. Uh, and the way it ended, I mean, it's very cynical, but it, it's also very indicative of of that time and place uh, of the in the American war machine. Was my commander calling the local Sunni chieftains and saying, uh, uh, you know, I, we're going to have to hold the 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 Sawa pay. Uh, kind of the, we, the paramilitary guards that that we'd we'd hired to help uh, uh, provide security, uh, because I see a number of them out there participating in this uh, this protest. Um, so get your people away, um, and it dissipated within an hour. Um, but but it, but it was also like uh, we were the ones dealing out out there trying to t- trying to talk with them, trying to reason with them as much as you can when you're uh, a foreigner uh, in in armor carrying a rifle. Uh, whereas the Rangers at that point, uh, who you know broken, uh, got, they got their man, but you know who, who had uh, raided the mosque, who had broken the car windows just for the hell of it. At that point, they were either back at the gym uh, uh, in Baghdad or, or they were sleeping. So uh, uh, I didn't write about that in Kaboom. Uh, uh, well, it's, it's it's kind of funny because you know from my perspective, what you did write about in uh, in Youngblood is you know kind of a perfect mix of of those. Uh, you know, of, of your group and the group that was, you know, making the mess. Sure. Um, kind of combined. Yeah, you know, because it was important. Uh, uh, and then when I got a little more distance and, and some of my friends ended up serving in, in special operations and talking with them, like, they just have a very different mission, right? And uh, uh, it's a, it, it, it's an important one. So, I, you know, I wanted, I didn't want, they're, they're, 
in, both in Kaboom and Youngblood, I, I hope the operators aren't aren't stock villains because they're no. they're not that way. No, for uh, sure but not. they just have a very different mission that that is going that inherently uh, contra- contradicts and conflicts with the mission of of a counterinsurgency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, you know, I wanted to I wanted to kind of uh, uh, illuminate that because uh, I, I think it uh, you know if 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 you can't get the entire uh, military's mission on, on, on the same page, there are going to be issues. And, and, and that's what, both in person and, and, and then in fiction with Youngblood, I, I, I wanted to portray. I, th- I mean, so one of the things that strikes me reading through some of your old blog posts and through most of Youngblood is just the complexity of the situation at times feels so overwhelming because it's, it's like a spider web branching out in every different direction at the same time. And the ripples are palpable. Like these oper- these special operators come in with a different mission than you guys, and some of it's in direct conflict, but some of it matches up. Mm-hmm. But either way, when they leave the scene, the ripples are going to continue. Right. And it's just it's it's impressive what you've done in a short span of time to convey what's going on. So maybe uh, one of the one of the clearest indicators of this that you already mentioned that maybe you can explain a little bit more in depth is the Sawa payments and how that sets up with the locals there and who they are. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, the Sawa, uh, for listeners who, who are unfamiliar, which uh, would understand would be so, were also known as the Sons of Iraq. And they were kind of set up in, in 2006, 2007 or so, generally Sunni, uh, kind of be an armed neighborhood watch, right? Uh, they were part of the surge, part of the shift to counterinsurgency, part of the Sunni awakening, all, the, all these terms that the American media and, and military uses, all, you know, kind of all coincided. Uh, and it, the idea was uh, uh, the American government and then the, later on the Iraqi government would provide monthly stipends for, the, uh, for local men of, of certain ages to basically be an armed neighborhood watch, uh, uh, you know, kind of help. It did a couple things, right? It, uh, not just the security in a in a destabilized war zone, but also kind of maybe try to jumpstart an economy that had been totally gutted uh, uh, when we rolled in in two thousand three. The reality on the ground was that a lot of these guys were former insurgents, right? Uh, that uh, maybe necessarily didn't uh, uh, they weren't jihadists, uh, but they didn't like foreign occupiers in their in in their neighborhood, understandably so. Uh, and uh, uh, before they, uh, before this, uh, uh, these 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 often these uh, people from different parts of Iraq or or uh, 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 elsewhere in the Middle East showed up with a paycheck and said, "Hey, go plant this bomb. I'll mm-hmm. I'll give you X amount of dinar." All right, I'll do that because uh, I lost my butcher's job because uh, the uh, uh, it got blown up by an American bomb. Right, Matt. All of this is is so interesting to me, and I think that you are you know such a unique case study in the sense that you have so many things that you've just not been, af- you, you were never afraid to write in the past. So I'm so curious, <laughs> you know, what your story is that, that you could never tell. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I, I was thinking about this, uh, after you guys invited me to the podcast and, um, you know, I, I, I've tried to, the writers that I admired growing up were kind of fearless. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know, I, in, in many ways I try to emulate that, uh, uh, Christ, my I got my blog shut down. Uh, uh, <laughs> Who do you got? Who are the writers? Uh, let's see. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson. It's uh, mm-hmm. just fearless. Um, let's see. Uh, I, like many uh, young men of a certain type, I, I read too much Hemingway growing up. Uh, uh, I grew up out west, so uh, uh, my mom made sure to uh, rear me on Joan Didion and Catherine mm-hmm. N. Porter, who are two writers I, I admire greatly. Uh, let's see. Uh, Isaac Babel. Was somebody I discovered uh, uh, just before I, I graduated in college and joined the military. Um, uh, 
Stephen Crane, of course, uh, so important uh, in the the tradition of American war writing. Um, and uh, uh, more recently, uh, 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 Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, uh, author of uh, Half of a Yellow Sun, that mm-hmm. that book just uh, uh, so impressive. It, uh, it intimidated me to the point that I almost like I didn't want to write. I was scared to write Young Blood because. Uh, uh, she had written such a beautiful, she, she expansive. Wrote, did she write book. Americana? She also worked. Yeah. Yes, uh, I, I, I loved Americana. Americana is also excellent. Just, yeah, just finished that recently. Uh, she, she's fantastically talented. Uh, so yeah, I was I was kind of mulling over. Well, what am I going to talk about? Uh, and uh, one thing I kept coming back to, and I, I kept trying to find something else, uh, so, which meant <laughs> that I needed to talk yeah. about it was uh, uh, was sex. Uh, to quote the the great warrior poets of the '90s, uh, Salt and Pepper. Uh, let's let's talk about sex, baby. Uh, so uh, yes, you know I was raised Presbyterian. Um, uh, my mom was very very devout Presbyterian. I also uh, my dad's side kind of Catholic Irish. This is just not something you talk about, yeah, right uh, at all. At all. Uh, and uh, it's something that uh, you know I think in in, in Young Blood there's a uh, there's a masturbation scene, but that's just like it's that's more like bro humor than than actual sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just something that I've always been kind of uh, uh, fearful of, of of writing about. Of uh, I mean, it's something. I mean, it's kind of obvious. But one of the, one of the benefits I think being the first guest on your podcast is nobody's done this before, yeah. so uh, I don't have to worry about that. Um, I have a feeling this may original. be a common topic. By the way, <laughs> what's up? I have a feeling this may be a common topic. Uh, well, I was here first, yeah. so uh, <laughs> I'm so I'm very happy with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, so uh, my senior year of uh, 2004, which was my senior college, and I'm, I'm in ROTC, so I'm gonna join the military, uh, join the army uh, after. But uh, it was a v- really formative time for me because the f- I spent my first semester studying in uh, in, I- in Ireland, just out- outside of Dublin. And this was also, uh, this was the first time I'd ever been to Europe. Uh, it was also uh, the Bush-Kerry election, right? So uh, uh, Europeans had a lot of feelings on it. Uh, it directly impacted my future. Right, I, I cannot tell you how depressed I was personally watching. <laughs> you know, I mean, I you know watching the returns of those elections, being like, all right, I guess that this is where I'm going now. Um, had a direct impact on your life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I also, at the time, I uh, uh, a friend had, had recommended the book to me, uh, uh, "Sport and a Pastime" by James Salter, and I had never read a, a man write about sex quite that way. Like, I I have to tell you before you continue that I bought that book a few months ago. And I have now tried to read it four separate times and cannot get past page thirty. For the uninitiated, because I have no idea what book this is, can you give me can you give me the the, the spark notes? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's awesome. Uh, so so get to page thirty one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll go it, back to it. It's about a, 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 an older American expat uh, uh, living kind of the French countryside, uh, and uh, uh, living kind of almost dreaming. Uh, uh, of a friend's relationship with with a local French French girl, uh, and it is it is just sexy. Like I don't know how else to like. It is the most. It's very sensuous. It's 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 still very like this, this, this book is known, you know, in in literary circles is like the book to read if you want to learn how to write a sex scene. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So there is a book for that. Uh, and I had a French girlfriend at the time, so I felt very like oh, co- like I felt super cosmopolitan like. Uh, you know, I, I was just a skinny Irish kid from Reno, Nevada, but uh, you know, I, I was I was learning about the world, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you probably knew more about sex <laughs> just from being from Reno. <laughs> you know, it's fu- it's funny. People, uh, there is that side of it, uh, but 
uh, I, I just I don't know. I grew up in the kind of the white collar suburbs. Like my parents were lawyers. Okay. It could have been anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it just happened to be Reno. Um, so you're you're in Ireland with a French girlfriend reading James Salter. R- yeah. Uh, watching Kerry C- blow blow uh, an election somehow. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, so yeah, you know, I'm also 21, right? Like everything uh, at that age see- seems so amplified mm-hmm. and momentous because it's it is well sex you, in particular. It, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> So I was like, oh, I, uh, you know, I knew, I didn't know how somebody became a writer uh, at that age, but I knew, oh, I, I want to be a writer someday. Like, uh, I, I, don't, I didn't know how people did it, but I was like, oh, I, I want to write a book like this someday. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a, sh- a small book, and I, I think I took it to Iraq with me and reread it a couple times, and, and uh, you know, it was just something that, that lingered with me. Salter was, he'd also uh, written The Hunters. Which, uh, for my money, is probably the best war novel about that came out of Korea, uh, uh, and he was a he was a, a, a pilot uh, for the for the Air Force in, in Korea, um, I, and you know he's just kind of a writer writer I I admired immensely, so uh, you know I was able to write Kaboom uh, without having kind of delve in the subject of sex because there was none. Uh, you deployed for fifteen months. <laughs> I mean, other than watching uh, watching porn and uh, having you know you know living with. Thirty other dudes uh, <laughs> in in too tight of quarters. You know, you don't you don't really encounter uh, uh, many women, um, uh, both both fellow American soldiers or, or even even Iraqi women. Um, uh, and you know, when you do, it's a lot. A lot of this is because of the the Muslim society and culture, right? You're trying to be as respectful mm-hmm. as possible and uh, 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 make sure that you know you no uh, nobody so I, thinks anything untoward is. Uh, I, I got, even possibly occurring. I got to know. There, there's a scene in Band of Brothers where, um, you know, it's the the major part of the war is over and everybody's just hanging out in Germany, like waiting to go home. And I, I never remember the guy's name, but he has this like random novel and he's on on lookout and and somebody comes to relieve him and he hands the book to him and he goes, um, "Hey, read that. You'll enjoy it." And this is some like young guy who's you know really interested in like getting into some combat and you know having some worldly experiences and you know he's playing around with the gun and um you know this this guy who's you know like the the ragged war-torn um you know soldier is like will you stop this is the best time i've ever had in the war like i have a book with sex in it like i just (laughs) use toilet paper to wipe my ass for the first time in a year um and you know he he goes uh you know, here, read this. And he hands him the book and, you know, this kid starts to read it. So I got to know, like, were you, when you were out in Iraq, were you just handing off that book to your friends? <laughs> uh, let's, or was that, you know, more of a 1940s thing? Yeah, well, I mean, we did have, like, internet access, <laughs> okay. right? So, like, you didn't really... Uh, you don't need salt you, you weren't You weren't that. starved. Right, for, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you, yeah, and, you know, like, wives and girlfriends can, you know, send whatever they want. There's yeah. a mail system uh, going on. I, I, I will say that, like, you know, it, it, it's it's it, it, it's <laughs> disgusting. But like, there's eight portageons for like a hundred dudes. Yeah. So and oh my god, they're everyone's in their twenties and thirties. Yeah. So like, extrapolate from that. You just never. You yeah. You just didn't. It was like a don't ask, don't tell thing going on with, yeah. with all that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just like, uh, of course, especially over the course of fifteen months, like, uh, it, just little things. Like I remember uh, this is a this is a funny story. We were almost done with our tour at this point, and uh, uh, we were having to be back at the big base for like maintenance or whatever. And they were the USO. There was a, this USO tour of uh, uh, going through, and the Buffalo Jills 
who are the Buffalo Bills cheerleading squad, <laughs> happened happened to be there, and they were kind of just like signing autographs, like they did like a, a dance routine, and and I went and watched for like ten minutes, and I hadn't sm- like I just remember it was just n- nice, but also like cr- th- then you feel creepy, like smelling perfume again, like smelling women's shampoo, mm-hmm. uh, and you're just like and you kind of feel bad for them because it's it's just like kind of like fifty leering dudes who haven't seen a woman in like a year. Uh, it's. I mean, it wasn't like apocalypse, apocalypse now, where like they have to rescue like the Playboy bunnies with the helicopter or anything quite like that. But it was just weird. I just remember like having to leave because it just felt. I felt like this. Just I felt bad for them. I felt. I felt bad. I. I. I felt. I didn't like where parts of my brain were going. Like it was mm-hmm. just like I'm just. You know, we're almost home. I'm just gonna it's go watch. Much. I'm gonna go watch CNN. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so cool off with some, uh, uh, but some, good, some but Donald Trump. Thank you, thank you, Buffalo Jills for for coming all the way to to Camp Taji way back when. That, that was I. It was appreciated. The uh, uh, your services did not go unnoticed. <laughs> no, no, and uh, and then then you know you talk to your twenty uh, year old pri- uh, private enlisted soldier later, and and it was the highlight of his to- his, his entire fifteen months was was getting to talk to to Julie from the Buffalo Jills. So uh, uh, good, 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 good for them. Yeah. Um, but uh, it just. I remember like smelling women's shampoo and just being like that. It just felt like a foreign something from a different land, a different time. And you're like, oh, well, the series of thoughts that must follow smelling women's perfume or women's shampoo for the first time in 15 months. I can imagine going down that road. Yeah, sure. And it not being a fun road to get to the end of. <sighs> no, exactly. And then you look around. Yeah, you just <laughs> and yeah, you, you, you're like, oh, no, I'm still in Iraq. Like, yeah. uh, uh so the story is that you know when you were um, you know out in Iraq, you were reading James Salter, thinking about you know your French girlfriend back in <laughs> back in Ireland. Sure. Um, I mean, is is this the kind of thing that you know? I'm sure you guys all it was like an old boys club, and everybody was talking about like their ex girlfriends mm-hmm. and you know the girls back home waiting for them. And um, I mean, you always read about like that thing that happening, and you know every war novel I've read recently has a st- you, you know Youngblood has this where you have a story of. Um, you know, the one that got away that's still back home that, you know, is either waiting for you or she's not. Um, I mean, is this the kind of thing that, you know, is really tough to write about? You know, did you have that kind of experience or you didn't because you, I mean, unless I'm wrong, you married the girl that you were with while you were out in Iraq. I did. I did. Uh, uh, and she's great. So I'm yeah. I'm a very lucky. She is very lucky man. She is. <laughs> I've met her, I met her once, and she's wonderful. She's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, she. Uh, I I don't know why she married me, but th- I'm glad she did. Uh, uh, no. So that was not my experience. She was uh, a, a senior at NYU at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, you know, we we're able to keep in touch. And and uh, but you know, I, I saw a lot. Of the dear John thing ha- is is very real, and it happened. And y- and you see how it can destroy some folks. And I think it's just. Uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's kind of a, a trope in war literature, but it, but a lot of that is just because it's like a kind of a coming of age, right? Like most people are kind of early to mid twenties. This happens uh, at that age, no matter what the yeah. circumstances. It's just magnified by the circumstances, right? Uh, uh, it's not being abroad, studying abroad in Ireland. Uh, like we, have, I'm sure we all have friends who who who, lo- who broke up with their college significant others when that happened. Uh, well, you know, we were studying abroad in a way, just happened to be uh, in Iraq, in a, in a combat zone. And, and yeah, it, ha- it happened to some of my soldiers, it happened to some of my friends. And it's um, it's the most, I mean, it is kind of the most natural thing in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now with, with some time and distance, like you, f- you feel for the uh, for for the other side, right? Like uh, it's in today's day and age, like it must be a very lonely thing 
living in an American society where nobody really kind of connects with these wars, right? Like there's yeah. kind of a sideshow uh, that that maybe appear on the news, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, your your significant other uh, is over there, but your day to day hasn't changed, uh, so you're very isolated, right? That's a very different experience than I think like our grandparents mm-hmm. went through uh, when most people, uh, if they didn't uh, didn't have a son or daughter serving in the military themselves, that they lived next door to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, little jo- little Johnny uh, down the street was was over in the Pacific or something. It's just a different. It's just a different thing. And and I mean the difference also lies in like you know geographic locations. You know I'm I'm from New Hampshire and I have half a dozen friends that spent some time in Iraq or Afghanistan and. Um, you know, thankfully, and I say this, you know, simply in context, a lot of them didn't really have, you know, significant others. A few of them did. And it was always, you know, really tough to watch because you have these people that, you know, are very clearly in love. And, you know, whether it's puppy love or real love doesn't matter because, you know, you just feel that absence there. And, you know, you have all of these opportunities to reach out to someone via Skype or Instant Messenger or Facebook or whatever. But it's not like you can be sitting on your computer. You know, you're over there doing something you know, your, your significant other is back here, you know, spending time, um, you know, kind of going about their life. Sure. Um, so some, yeah, sometimes that connectedness was almost a disservice, right? Because, uh, you kind of had access to somebody, but, uh, it was still indirect and, and it, uh, and it was all like an arm's length. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, uh, there's a scene in Youngblood that, uh, I, I cribbed from, uh, uh, something that happened to a, to a friend's unit. Mm-hmm. Um, a, uh, 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 a young woman found out that her fiance had been, had been killed, uh, uh, through Facebook because one of the other soldiers had posted like RIP and like, there's a process, like they have to confirm who it is. Uh, I mean, the way it's supposed to go down, right. Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, a chaplain back, uh, back in the states, will go to the family and, and deliver the news and 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 serve as kind of a uh, essentially a, a consoler, right? Uh, someone someone to grieve with. Um, but fa- uh, Facebook's yeah, much fa- more instant than it that. Exists. Uh, I I I have. Um, well, anyway, that's well. Before st- we yeah, yeah, let's let's move back to uh, to this topic about sex. Did you have a story about sex, or was it just sex as a theme in general that's difficult to talk about? Well, uh, so. You know, I'd had the Salter book for so many years. I uh, uh, went back to uh, grad school to get my MFA and uh, 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 and, and working on what became Youngblood. And uh, uh, I realized that uh, um, you know, there's going to be a prominent uh, uh, Iraqi female character uh, that became Rana. Um, and uh, there's a love story at the essence of it. And uh, more to try... And I was at, at one point during the drafts. Uh, I was like, "There, there needs to be, a, there needs to be a sex scene." And I kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And I finally just did it, and I wrote it. Um, oh God, spoilers! Uh, no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it did not make the final copy, but uh, and it was it was bad. Uh, but I was glad I did it uh, just to just to see if I did it. it. I mean, it definitely felt like overwrought salt, like an overwrought salter impression. Um, the, the the real challenge was then sharing drafts and with your mom or your wife and having them read it. Uh, and I don't think my mom talked to me for a month. Really? Oh man. So so here's the, here's my question because I've uh, you know a little bit of a connection to to a friend of Matt's who told me that he was um, you know really sad when you took that scene out because he <laughs> loved it. Yes, he he did love that scene. So I mean, it couldn't have been that bad. 
Uh, like what? What was the ultimate like reason for you taking it out? On, well, on, honestly, uh, in something I'm proud of, I, t- I, t- I took it out not because uh, I didn't think this, I could. I could have. Re- I, I think I could have reworked into a, a piece of writing that that uh, I would have been proud of and, and belonged in the book. It just didn't. I don't think it stayed true to the characters mm-hmm. involved. Um, it was one of those things. I'm, I'm very much kind of a, a trial and error type of writer. Uh, I need to I need to see it on the page, uh, the, the uh, and see if it see if it works right. And it just didn't belong. It, it felt out of mm-hmm. character for uh, for both parties involved. Yeah, I guess that's a spoiler. It involves two people, not not more. <laughs> uh, well, there was a single. Apparently, there was a masturbation. Oh scene. yeah, that's true. By that's... the way, I missed that completely in my first read through of the book. I don't know if maybe it's at the end. Uh, no, no, it's 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 early. I mean, it's uh, it's very vague. He I, there's, I didn't even there's... realize it was there. There's it's the really, it's the I mean... thematic centerpiece of my my war novel. <laughs> Kyle. Masturbation is there. <laughs> Look for it. Find it. Uh, but yeah, no, it just... Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not explicit. It just kind of... You, you get the idea because sure. of the thoughts that are going through his head. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I'll, I'll leave the obvious uh, uh, dick literary references to, to the, the Hunter S. Thompson's of the world. But uh, yeah, no, it just I, I ended up taking it out just because it just... I, I felt like it just did a disservice to the character. It just didn't yeah. feel... It felt, like, it felt like a writer needing to include a sex scene rather than uh, in uh, the obvious place for these these people to go together, uh, but that said, I wouldn't have known that. I'm glad I tried. Um, uh, but it, it, it took. I had to. I, I put it off for months because, uh, yeah, it was pre- all this kind of Presbyterian guilt. Uh, 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 that that goes for Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics, well. yeah, just, that's true. Just while we're on, the Cat- the yeah, uh, there was that. There was also, and there's also, you know, I'm, I'm a straight white dude, right? Uh, there's, um, you know, there's there's a way, like it's what uh, blew me away about Salter, right? It's that uh, uh, generally women uh, write about can write about sex very well. Uh, much of, much of uh, uh, some of the best sex scenes I've encountered in literature are written by by are written by gay men. Uh, but for every Salter, it feels like you have like ten Tom Wolfs trying it. Like I am mm-hmm. Charlotte Simmons, just atrocious, yeah. very scientificy, like. Uh, the play-by-play. Well, there's there's the whole scene, uh, you know, going back to our discussion on Jonathan Franzen. And um, actually, I don't I don't actually want to talk about it, but you know, <laughs> this summer, that uh, bad, huh? This summer in purity, it was kind of you know the famous thing to make fun of, uh, you know, Jonathan Franzen's sex writing. So, do you find yourself when you're writing stories intentionally? Now that you recognize that it's something you've been putting off for a while, mm-hmm. are there moments where you go back to where you intentionally avoided? writing in that sort of progression of a character relationship. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't conscious of it maybe at the time, but as when I was writing the scene just you know, uh, just to do it and see see if it see if it belonged, I realized that it had been something I'd avoided in in some of my uh previous previous work, uh, uh be it short stories or or even uh even essays or whatever. You had to uh, leave it out of the Big Buck Hunters. You know, piece, <laughs> you right? know, I'm sure. I'm sure there was some sex uh, that Big Buck Hunter weekend. There was a lot more alcohol. That story though. did not end in sex. Uh, uh, you, the, well, there is a there is a woman's tournament, uh, and and, and uh, 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 there were married couples uh, participating in both tournaments. So somebody that weekend had this, sex. This, this is a this is a masterpiece. <laughs> everybody, you, you should Google Matt Gallagher wired. Uh, by the way, Big I got to tell Hunter. you. We have a mutual friend who asserts her dominance in Buck Hunter on a weekly basis. Okay. After some alcohol, I would love, and hopefully at some point we'll have her on the podcast in the future. Her name's Daisy. Okay. Um, but 
basically, we need to get the two of you together so that I can watch someone finally beat her. <laughs> so Matt, Matt is actually you know, qualified for the world This is why I think he's the man for the job. I, I'm a little out of practice, so give me about a week's heads <laughs> yeah. up. to uh, Just, Daisy, so. when you hear this, no, <laughs> I finally found the person. So, you know, this is kind of interesting because it's something that a lot of writers, you know, kind of struggle with where um, it's not necessarily that they don't, that they that they don't feel comfortable writing a sex scene in their books or novels or short stories or whatever, but it's more so that, you know, oftentimes they don't realize that they don't have to. Um, so that's definitely, you know, kind of a, a good realization um, to have, but also, um, I don't know, it's, that's, that's, uh, well, there, there was this great interview uh, as we're doing this podcast. Uh, uh, Garth Greenwell's uh, debut novel, uh, I think it's called What Belongs to You, just mm -hmm. came out. and It's been getting kind of rave reviews everywhere. Uh, and I just read a really, really smart interview he did with the Paris Review. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing because uh, 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 I can't turn on my phone and, and, and look it up. But he, but, uh, he was talking about the, the uh, some writing about sex for his novel. And it, it was something like, uh, you know, it's where the physical meets the metaphysical, right? And, and kind of trying to capture that that balance, and I think I, I know it's why I why I kind of put off and, and, and struggled mm -hmm. with it, and I and I think a lot of a lot of writers writers do because uh, you know part, the goal of literature, right, is to kind of get outside your own head uh, to write from a, maybe a, a different perspective or, or to write about about uh, uh, you know a different world or uh, you know whether it's historical or or, or just a diff different worldview, whatever, right? Like that's the beauty of literature is 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 uh, to employ that kind of that empathy, mm -hmm. sex is, is 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 hard because uh, uh, we've only we've all only experienced it as ourself, right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I know I, I, for me that was w w one of the things that it, I was so intimidated by the subject, right? Was um, you know white uh, not uh, well straight straight male authors often get criticized for it because it's very uh, direct and kind of practically written. Like Tom Wolfe uh, or or Franzen, and there's maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's not. I, uh, but like kind of tapping into kind of that metaphysical side that Greenwell described that Salter did so well, it's really fucking hard. Uh, and it's easier to skirt around. It's easier to kind of do the Hemingway thing and 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 write write about Maria's hair for a page and a half, and then just skip. You know, do do a paragraphical yeah. uh, a, a skip, and then the next morning they woke up next to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, Holding one another. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. That's how I read Hemingway. Like, yeah, you let's, gotta let's do the rest yeah. of the interview with you <laughs> and, as Hemingway. And Hemingway's voice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that personally, that's why I was, uh, uh, it was subject to avoid, was uh, uh, I was intimidated by it. But ultimately, that's why I knew I needed to at least try it. Um, and So, are you going to, you know, try this again in the future? <laughs> you know, uh, I think I will. Yeah. Uh, Here's another question. What did your wife have to say about it? She, uh, she, Unlike my mom, she she talked to me afterwards, which was which was nice. Uh, she, but like, uh, uh, she could probably relate to a lot of what you wrote. She's cat. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I don't know. Sure. She's Catholic. Yeah, she's Catholic. That's where we're going. Yeah. She's Catholic, uh, and she's and she's a, she's a redhead, so she's uh, you know kind of a fire personality. But she's she just said that she she was laughing, not because it was it was bad, but she she was she was as my as the author's wife was 
kind of had these inhibitions, right? Uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, and understandable, especially because the novel is told in first person, which which is probably a factor, right? Uh, there's always that. All readers have this issue, and myself included. When a novel is written in first person, you just presume, oh, this is it's just really the author. Uh, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. Uh, uh, so maybe that played a role. So maybe maybe that's the secret is is writing writing a sex scene in second or third person. Well, let's. So one of the more famous uh, recent examples of sex scenes in the third person, I think, belongs to the entirety of Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> I don't know if you've had the pleasure of reading even an excerpt of it. I myself have never read the entire book, but for research purposes, of course. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I've read excerpts. Nipple clamps. Why, why um, would you <laughs> for nipple clamps? The the best question that anyone is could ask about this is why um and it was sort of honestly more than anything else as someone uncomfortable writing about sex is you know given my straight white male background the you know the critical thundercloud that looms over writing about stuff like this on top of the fact that it's impossible to do well or to feel like you've done it well even after you've done it which is a little bit like sex in and of itself um, but Fifty Shades of Grey, more than anything, gives me confidence when I think about attempting to write about sex in the future. Because I don't know if you've had the pleasure, but it is, and I say this enthusiastically, it is some of the worst writing I think I've ever <laughs> read. And it's not pretty. It's not um, flowery like sure. you might expect. Sure. It is dirty. Some of it's disgusting. Right. But it it worked. It sold how many copies? Uh, several billions yeah yeah i mean it's like tens of millions so is this something you have experience with is this something that sort of so registers it, so on matt's the, not going to be writing i mean so far as i know erotic novels anytime soon but um i mean no, obviously I, but i think it's you know it's one of the main pop culture things that deals with sex on the page right I, and you know i i i think i flipped through it at a bookstore one time and and saw a typo and and Dismissed it. Uh, dismissed it. Of course. Yes. Uh, but you know what? It's it's it, it resonates with people, and and mm-hmm. I think it's great that it it, it gets people reading. Yeah. And, you know, it, it might not be uh, my uh, well, my, f- my favorite book, but uh, yeah, I think that's great. And and uh, it sounds like part of its appeal is that it it just writes about it uh, writes about sex very forthrightly. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, sex is just part of life. Like all parts of life need to be explored this way on the written page. So uh, uh, good for. Uh, can't remember the author's name, but good I for no her. E.L. E- 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 James. Okay. Ah. Um, but back to... Said someone who supposedly never read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but back to, um, you know, your... Casual your point, changing the yes, subject. Yes. Yeah. Back to your point about, you know, your wife's thoughts on your writing. Uh, one of my favorite stories of all time is uh, after Vladimir Nabokov wrote Lolita, he went into his backyard and tried to burn the manuscript, the only copy, because he was just so disgusted by the whole thing. His wife stopped him, pulled it out of this like trash can that he'd thrown it in and said, like, this is beautiful. This is amazing. You need to show this to people. I don't know if that's what she actually said, but that was the gist of it. Um, And, you know, that now is one of the greatest novels of all time. Right. Um, So sometimes it just takes, you know, another set of eyes to recognize what you can't. um, And especially when it's something that's so close to you. Uh, You know, I I personally would love to see you write about this in your next book. you know, or your next story, just because it seems like, and so much of writing is getting over, you know, what you don't think you can do. Um, so I, I just think that that's a, a good next step. Um, I mean, I don't, you don't need to be taking advice from me, but um, well, let's talk about this a little bit. Cause I think one of the, one of the more interesting things is someone who tries to write frequently and again, doesn't succeed, which is why we are the writers who don't write. 
Um, check us out at www.podcast.com. There's a nice plug that I worked in. Um, that was good. One of the things that I think we should talk about on the show is how, so now that you know, right, you understand that this is something that you've avoided in the past, maybe it's affected your work, what sort of strategy have you developed or maybe what are the thoughts that are percolating about the next time you have to try this? Like, are you developing a strategy? Is it just go for it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just doing it once uh, and proving to myself that that it could be done. Um, even if it didn't necessarily make the final book, uh, was was big, uh, and I, I think just realizing that it is to be treated like like any other part of life, right? That uh, uh, it's just something that you're gonna have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. And uh, uh, my next book, it, 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 I think it'll be it'll be more natural for some of the characters uh, too. Uh, to fuck on the page, uh, uh, to, to, to be eloquent about it. But, uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it's okay that, uh, it's going to be rough the first time. And it's okay that, that, uh, uh, my wife and my mom are, are going to cast a, cast an eyebrow at it. it I just got to rework if it, if it makes sense for these characters and it makes sense for that story, I just got to get it right. And that just takes time and it takes, it takes rewriting the same way, uh, 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 you know, kind of the uh, an IED strike or a roadside bomb strike in Youngblood, right? I didn't get it right the first time. I had to rework it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to rework it, um, uh, or or just a uh, uh, you know, sex and sex and violence are too often equated. So even even just kind of a, an everyday conversation, uh, you know, one, one of the one of the chapters I'm, I'm most proud of in Youngblood is is uh, uh, just kind of a, a group of soldiers kind of waiting around. Um, uh, uh, for some local Iraqis to show up, because uh, because they they owe them a payment, um, and, and kind of the, the they're just kind of joking around is because they're just kind of oversized kids in, in with rifles, you know, kind of acting like sixteen year old kids. And then as soon but as soon as uh, uh, the Iraqis show up, uh, they they kind of turn into the soldiers soldiers that they are, and the, uh, we uh, we were what we pretended to be is the line that I use. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the first time I wrote that, it was super boring because it was just, it was just a conversation, right? It could have just easily been, uh, dudes, dudes talking about home, right? Uh, uh, and, and, you know, and, and as I reworked it and I reworked it, I, I, I hope and I think that it became, became more than that, right? Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, just, uh, realizing that sex is just part of life and it's a subject and it's, it's something that, that is going to require time and care because, uh, all good writing requires time and care, uh, but getting over that initial, uh, gosh, initial hump, really. Uh, getting get, <laughs> getting over that uh, getting over that oh, initial fear. Don't don't be afraid. <laughs> uh, getting over that initial fear, which it was just something that 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 I needed to do, um, and uh, uh, I'm glad I did it because it, it, the subject is I'm I'm still wary of it, but I'm not intimidated by it the same way I was. Uh, that said, I, it it also means not just kind of uh, uh, channeling and regurgitating Salter. Mm-hmm. It, it means writing this, r- staying true to you yourself as an author, and and your your the way you write, uh, uh, or and the way your characters experience experience this act. So that I mean, those those are all things that I'll uh, as I'm drafting this next book, I'll be keeping in mind when I when I come to those parts. I love that. It sounds like a lot of this is dealing with the fact that you're it's almost like you're learning the writing process again for this one particular aspect <laughs> you know I, I think a lot of writers will t- uh, will tell you this and it's certainly been my experience uh 
the more I do it, uh, the more writing I do, the harder it becomes, and the more cognizant you are of of just how how much of a craft it is, right? And it's just never it never gets easier. It it it, it, all, it only gets harder, uh, and that means you're getting better, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, and, and same you know same thing with sex. Same thing with uh, you know it, in, in in young blood. Uh, I was lucky enough. My my vehicle never got hit hit by a roadside bomb, uh, and but the the the, the narrator's vehicle does. And, and the way for me to uh, uh, to kind of tap into that was I did a lot of research. Right, I I, I talked to I talked to people, uh, friends or friends or acquaintances. I read a lot of nonfiction and oral history because um, I wanted to get it right. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, so research. So you know, you just gotta. I guess what I'm saying is advocating for is, is sex research, really. Just if, do if only there was a place on the internet somebody could could do research. research, yeah, as you possibly can yeah. before okay. you write. That way, if porn wasn't already 98 percent of the uh, <laughs> of the, the internet. things that you do on the internet. Yes. <laughs> right. On on that note, uh, I think that that's probably the end of the first show. Um, unless... I think we're nearing the end of the conversation. It seems like uh, we've put a nice bow on it. Yeah. I think so. so was, that a, was that a Fifty Shades of Grey reference? <laughs> <laughs> this episode was produced by Kelly Harrison. The music you hear at the top and the bottom is Ryan Dan, also known as Holland Patton Public Library. You can find out more about him at hollandpattonpubliclibrary.com. This episode couldn't have been possible without the help of Noel Mapes, Dan Umbro, and of course Matt Gallagher, and my main man Kyle. Oh, it's so sweet. So you can find more about us at our website, www.podcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at www.podcast and find us on Facebook, Medium, Instagram, all from our website. Do not forget to tune into our newsletter, which is my favorite part of the whole show. And next week, we are going to have Victoria Taylor, formerly of Reddit fame. I'm very excited for that interview. It's going to be good. Sex is, is is hard because uh, uh, we've only we've all only experienced it as ourselves, right? Yeah.